back to Cairo Nights. Are you the kind of person that's always available for your boss? You know, always answer every every phone call, every text, every email from your boss, no matter what time of day it is, what hour of the day it is. Yeah, in most of my career, I have been. Yeah, I kind of feel like I've been the same guy. There is legislation being proposed about making it illegal to email employees after hours. Work emails are facing legal restrictions. The employee amendment bill, the employee bill in Kenya, for example, would give workers the right to disconnect. There's no law currently in America saying that employers have no right to contact you after work hours. Ontario, Canada is working on a policy that allows employees to disconnect from work. That online work-related communications, including emails, phone calls, video conferences, are prohibited. There was a uh, story we had about a month ago about a little, about a company in, I think it was in Indonesia, that would fine a, a, a manager or an employee $1,200 for contacting their employees on vacation. We need off time to do our job right, to be the best we can be. Of course, some jobs are around the clock. This job is a around the clock job. A lot of jobs are. Things happen after hours, stories break, leads come in. I mean, Matt sent me, Matt sent me an email this morning. You know, I'm like, what happened? I'm like, Is everything okay? Oh, no, it's a story we should be talking about tonight. That's that, that kind of content gathering is a year, excuse me, around the clock kind of job. The cliche in radio is that life is show prep. Yes, absolutely. So they're never far from each other at any given point in time. Do you think that the uh, there should be legis- legislation to keep the boss from ringing your bell? I after don't know. Hours? I mean, like if you were in a union and they negotiated that, that's one thing. But the enforcement of this is going to be a pain in the you know what. I don't understand how they plan to enforce this unless someone files a complaint. Then that's... they have to go through an investigative process. It's a good idea, but it doesn't seem like government is the best way to accomplish it. I think you're spot on with the employee-employer relationship. It being negotiated that you've got off time, that you're out of reach, that you're off the clock, or that we need to get you. We need to be able to reach you at any time. Although I imagine sometimes people take jobs where the culture is more high pressure, but they're not aware that that's how their manager operates. Mm. And they do get pestered a lot outside of work hours for what may be very minor things. And there's a there's a caveat about like why didn't you text me back in five seconds? Why didn't you email me back in you know one right, minute? Right, like you can't you can't have that level of pressure in most jobs. And if you didn't sign up for that and you start experiencing it, then what are you going to do? Yeah, a lot of people are worried for their position if they don't step two every time the boss shoots off an email, no matter what time of day it is. So maybe there is a a legal position that could be taken to protect people from abusive managers like that. There's a there's a girl on a, a lady, excuse me, a lady on TikTok and I wish I could remember her name. Um I've seen her 
pieces from time to time. She does little comedy vignettes about being reached after hours. The boss, well, I'm going to need you to take your laptop on vacation because I may need to. Well, I'm, I'll be back on Monday. Good luck with that. You know, toodaloo is her sign-off phrase. I've seen quite a few of them, but she kind of paints a picture on how to tell your boss, no, 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 no. My time is my time. Well, we don't have enough people. We need you to, well, your inability to correctly staff the office is not my responsibility or or fault. I look forward to working with you on the, tomorrow morning. When I, how come you didn't respond to my email? Well, you sent your email at 5.30 and my work hours are 8 to 5. But I needed you to get back. Well, I responded at 8.05 next morning when I got to work and opened my work emails. Did you see where there's uh, no law that says the employer that you work for? Uh, how do I phrase this right? You can search your employees' cars if they're parked on company property. And there's proposed law in the state of Washington. Lawmakers are considering a bill to stop employers unjustly searching your vehicle just because it's parked on company property. Do you think that you have no right to privacy in your workplace? I mean, if you work on a work computer, we've all taken these courses when we take a job, that if you work with company equipment, it's subjected to company's perusal, right? Anything on your work computer belongs to the company, basically. And anything in your desk or anything in your locker, is that all company property? The ability to search that anywhere in the building, that makes sense, right? But your private vehicle, if you pull into a company parking lot, anything in your vehicle that could cost you your job, the state is trying to pass legislation that gives some employees some privacy protections. Currently, the Department of Labor and Industries, L&I, says there are no statutes or rules regarding workplace searches, including an employee's vehicle parked on an employer's, employer's property. It's called HB 1257. I heard Matt Markovich talking about this in the office the other day. Introduced state legislation this session, introduced this last session, would prohibit employers from searching privately owned vehicles and prevent employers from acquiring employees to waive those privacy rights to not be searched as a condition of employment. You know, so you have the right to, you know, keep your vehicle private, but if you're going to work here, you have to give up that right and allow us the right to search your vehicles. And they're trying to pass a law that says this. that's not, not going to be the case. Under the bill, employees are permitted to file complaints with the LNI, and the department can impose civil penalties for violations. There are several exceptions to this law against an employer searching vehicles, including if the vehicle is owned or leased by the employer. That's obviously right. Like working on a company computer, if you're driving a company car, makes sense that they've got the right to check that vehicle. Make sure you're not like trashing it or smoking in it or smoking weed in it or driving it, you know, dangerously, burning up the engines, all the things that you do. Let's see. Any legal search done by law enforcement, that's, of course, that's an exception, or prevent an immediate threat to human life, health, or safety. 
Russ Ipok is a gentleman representing pulp mill workers and says this law is essential as workers are getting reprimanded or even fired after refusing an employee's requ- employer's request to search their vehicles. People are getting written up. People are getting terminated, he said. We had a random search of 11 vehicles on the work site. Out of the 10, 11, or the 11 people, 10 said, yeah, all right. But one guy stood up and said, no, you have no right to search my vehicle, and he was fired. Tammy Fallon from Labor and Industries did bring up one problem with legislation, mainly that while it does make it illegal to search a private car, there is not enough to dissuade employers from firing people as retaliation. It doesn't appear to be any retaliation protections written in the bill, which from the testimony seems to be pretty damn important, Fallon said. I added damn. No employers testified against the bill. Nobody stood up for the right to search your workers' vehicles. I understand, you know, why they would, would be the rule. You're parking a vehicle on their property. If it's on the street, have fun here. I'm going to say, we're, you know, see, you're working at Cairo Radio. We've got employee parking out there. That would give our employer the right to search our vehicles. But if it was parked on the street, a private vehicle, they lose that right because it's not on their property. Boy, privacy is a, is a, is a slippery place to be, you know, setting up rules like we can search your vehicle. We can search your desk. We can search anything we want to if it's on company property. If you're working for us, what you do on our time is our business, no matter what it is that you do. Does that mean a purse can be searched at work? A wallet? Go through and find my, uh, my club card for various gentlemen's clubs in town, my membership card. How about my membership card for a, I don't know, a revolutionary type group? What if I was a member of, you know, White Washington? What if I had a membership card and it was in my desk drawer? I'm not saying I do. It's pretty obviously that I don't. What if my wallet was in there? If I put my wallet in my desk drawer, in that wallet was a membership card to an organization that could shine, you know, could... uh, Look bad for the company if they had a member of that organization working here at the radio station. They have the right to search my wallet if it's in my company desk. Sounds like they do. I don't know if your car, I can't, I can't sit with that, with your car is fair game for your employer. I hope this law, House Bill 1257, is made a law in Washington that employees have the right to privacy for a privately owned vehicle, regardless of where it's parked. But like the story says, and the story was put together by our own Matt Markovich, it's on MyNorthwest.com, that there are retaliation protections built into it. The story from the pulp mill, where 11 workers, wanted their cars were going to be searched, and one guy said no and got fired. And there's nothing in the bill to stop the companies from doing that. No retaliation protection in this bill. Do you surrender all your rights when you take a job? You surrender your right to, you know, be off work, not get emails, not get phone calls. Well, since most people don't read the fine print, I imagine that is true in a lot of cases and they just don't know. Well, to your point, it's it's a point between labor and industry. Right? It should be a point between the workers and the employers about negotiating your free your rights. But like you said, we all get these contracts put in front of us, these boilerplate contracts, the conditions of your employment. We had that we get that here. 
all big corporations have these boilerplate contracts, and they're not a bad thing necessarily. For the most part, these laws and rules are put in place because there have been instances where employees did knucklehead stuff, put the company at risk of liability, and the employers have to protect themselves. That and lawyers need work. <laughs> you, you have more cynical bones in your body than the average person does. Yeah. But you're, you're, you're not wrong. Everybody, every big corporation has a legal team that vets these employer agreements, employment agreements. It's kind of like the whole dilemma with taxes where everybody's like, well, if you simplify the tax code, people could file their taxes on a postcard. Like, but wait a minute, that's not going to happen because there's a whole industry to meet that demand. Boy, you don't know how wise you speak about the, the, <laughs> the call for tax reform has been going on forever. You know, there, there's a proposed legislation, I don't know if it's ever going to get time of day, about abolishing the IRS. <laughs> and right and, ju- and going to a 30% sales tax coast to coast, right? Eliminating income tax, eliminating business tax, eliminating the uh, inheritance of the death tax and just getting a 30% coast to coast sales tax on everything. And that would let, you know, massive earners off the hook and really disparagingly hammer the lower income section of America. So that that's probably never going to happen. But you're right about the fact that there's an entire industry of tax preparation lobbying the government not to change the tax code. Let's make it more difficult. Keep us in biz. Yeah, you're right about that, buddy. You know, most of the agreements that we sign that have these ridiculous restrictions on them come about because people have tried to get away with stuff. You ever rent a storage unit? Matt, I know you moved to town oh, from yeah, out of town. Yeah, I've definitely rented storage units. Um, some of the things in the agreement for your storage, have you ever read the agreement or did you just sign it? Heck, heck no. <laughs> never read the agreement. Never, agree, never read the agreement? <laughs> I mentioned that we've had a storage unit for a long time in my house, an embarrassingly long time in my house. And when you sign an agreement for a storage unit, you have to abide by the rules of the storage you know, facility and... And these rules are in place for a reason. Not using it to cook methamphetamine is a start. It's you, you, are, you're no joking. your motorcycle in the storage unit. You're joking, but there's there those are written in there. Oh, I'm sure they are because those are things that people would probably do. That people have tried to do. Most of these ridiculous rules. Why would somebody put? You can't raise live animals in a storage unit. You can't literally run a chicken farm out of a storage unit because people have tried. You can't run a commercial kitchen out of a storage unit because people have tried. There was a line in our agreement for our storage unit. I swear to you, Matt, you cannot store dead bodies in a storage (laughs) unit. And that's in there because somebody tried. In a criminal way or just? No, 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 no. I mean, you know, when, and I'm not sure this happened years ago, this wouldn't have been pandemic, but remember when they had to rent like trucks and trailers and refrigerated? There was a story last week about how the city morgue was running out of out of room, storage room, right? People who owned, you know, whether it be funeral homes or whatever, didn't have the storage space and tried to rent storage units, you know, to just put the bodies in until they could deal with it. You can't live in a storage unit. You can't raise livestock, run a business, cook, or store paint a car that was in there. You can't paint your motorcycle in a storage unit. 
all these rules are in place because people have tried to do this stuff. All the rules in your contract for employment are, are in there because people have tried to get away with stuff. They're trying to make it so your employer can't search everything you own because just because you work somewhere, including the car that you drive to work in your car, it's part of the Washington legislative agenda this year down in Olympia. We have Matt Markovich in on a weekly basis to talk about Washington's law. I hear the uh, jaywalking law is making its way through through the legislative session this year. Again, that could be the dumbest law I've ever heard in my life. Cairo Knights will be right back after these. Today from the great Depeche Mode. Seriously? New album comes out March 24th called Memento Mori. That's great to hear. It's so hard for a band to stay relevant. This is seriously good. I'm usually disappointed. By later career singles, I, I'm with you. You know, I, I'm a Who fan as a kid. I was uh, there was you know you're the Stones or Beatles guy. I was a Who guy. What even a Zeppelin guy? As much as I was a Who guy, but the later works of their career, you know, it, they're just not up to par. It's tough. You too. I love you too. But the later works of their career, I just didn't feel match the, the intensity of their earlier works. It's hard for a band to keep writing music that matters. Stones fall into the same category. Stones have written a great song in 20 years. Um, that sounds fantastic. New Depeche Mode out in March. Yeah, looking, March looking 24th. I do believe we were probably the first Seattle radio station to play this new single, which is awesome. That's awesome. Nicely done. Play it some more when we come back out of break, too. We'll do, we'll do some more tonight. I like that. Is there other cuts, or is that the only cut you got so that's far? That's just the single. That's the only one that's been released so far. Right on. Boy, a lot of you folks had stuff to say about... Uh, your rights as an employee, your rights to privacy. Someone asked, why doesn't this fall under the legal search and seizure? Well, it's actually the Fourth Amendment is unreasonable search and seizure. That's what the law covers. It protects people from unreasonable searches and seizures by the government. So you have to ask yourself, what is unreasonable? That's where it gets into the gray area of your rights. You know, if you work for someone... They could argue that there's a reasonable need to know what you've got in your purse or your car or your desk drawer or your wallet even on your phone. Someone texted in and said, does this mean that they've got the right to pick up your phone? Well, I'll tell you what, if you're using a work phone, if your employer provides you with a phone, they've got the right to look at everything in your phone. That's company equipment. If your employer provides you with a laptop computer to do your job. Everything you do, don't be running a Ponzi scheme like 
George Santos off your boy. If he ever runs a Ponzi scheme off his government issued laptop, he's just that stupid too. By the way, he really is just that stupid. He's he. I, I'm I, I'm being cruel. He's not well. He's not. Uh, it's not a matter of stupidity. That's an insult he doesn't deserve. He's literally mentally not well. I don't know how else you describe what George Santos is doing and done. But with regard to your privacy, um, you really don't have the right to privacy in a lot of things in your life. You know, we're the, again, the Fourth Amendment says it protects you from unreasonable search and seizure by the federal government. Not by your employer. You know, that's why they're talking about legislation in Olympia that would stop your employer from looking through your private vehicle if it's parked on company property. That privacy is yours on the street, public street, your locked vehicle. A text from the 360 says, among the many reasons, the main reasons for workplace searches, especially in large companies with workforces in the hundreds and a lot of heavy machinery, paper, pulp mills, steel foundries, too many people would be drinking, drugging in their cars during breaks and then coming back inside and causing accidents which lead to liability, et cetera. That's why they feel they have the need to search your car for empty liquor bottles or drug paraphernalia. You know, I was on a social media group for our radio station programmers, and one guy mentioned that he was in a situation where the station he was working at was going to be sold. So a prospective buyer comes in and he asks the current owner and GM, he goes, do you drug test your employees? And the owner said, look, if I drug tested my employees, I'd be doing every shift on this station. <laughs> it, especially in radio. You, you can't get good radio without a little, little something, something going on, you know? You, I understand the need for employers to have safe workplaces and employees who are, you know, not under the influence. The, the, the texter makes a great point about big places where uh, – where, where heavy work is done, machines are used. There's a safety issue. So you have the right to privacy. Of course you do. But you, you make exceptions. You have the right to free speech. We talked about our, our constitutional rights and how they don't exclude us from the consequences of freedom. Like the First Amendment, the right to, to free speech doesn't provide you with protection from the consequences of your speech. Unreasonable search and seizure is a gray area. What is reasonable? If you work for someone, they have a reasonable need to know that you're being a safe employee. You know, there are places that uh, will check you as you leave to make sure that you're not stealing. Well, ever since Johnny Cash managed to slowly steal all the parts of that car and build it at home, they have been a little wary. (laughs) Do you ever watch the show? um, Oh, it was Deadwood. Okay, so Deadwood was a Western set in the 1890s in the Dakota Territory. It was about a mining town. Great HBO series. Some of the most profane uh, dialogue ever written for HBO was in the show Deadwood. And it was based on a real town, and some of the characters in it were true from history. While Bill Hickok was featured in the show, Calamity Jane, the marshal in in the town, Marshall Bullock, played by uh, Timothy Oliphant, was a real character in history. Um, and it was there was gold discovered in the Black Hills of the Dakotas, 
which was an, uh, a, an Indian territory. And it's the story of a town that was set up before, before the government decided that gold made that territory too valuable to let the, uh, the heathens have it. So they needed to make that a state so that the, the minerals in that ground could then be taxed and, you know, collected and, harvest and, and mined and taxed. And when a real big gold strike was found, investors came in from out of, out of the territory and built these, like, instead of a guy with a pickaxe or a guy panning in a stream, here's like a, dr- a, a drilling operation or what that amounted to in the 1890s with hundreds of employees. And they would check these guys as they came out of the mound or the, or the mines. They would check them, every orifice in their body. They would literally check inside their mouths for little gold nuggets. They could be squirreling away in their gums. They would check their prison wallet, as it's often referred. And, and, and this is, of course, a, a fictional dramatization, but pulled from the mud flaps of history, if you will. I mean, they that's how... <laughs> They checked. Employees have to protect against theft, right? Intellectual property theft, right? You sign agreements in these with with a lot of employers about you won't, uh, you know, copy paperwork or take things off your computer or copy the programs on the computer, share files on the computer, all the things like that. There's reasons employees have to employers have to protect themselves from ne'er do well employees. And I can see why an employer would feel he has the right to search your vehicle, your private vehicle, if they think that maybe you're doing stuff in your car on break that could make you an unsafe employee. You know, it's like there's there's arguments to both of these points of view. Seems like always, if you think about them. First, I'm like, well, how dare they search a private vehicle? Well, you know, meth don't smoke itself. If you go in the parking lot and smoke a meth during lunch break... But back in, you lose a hand in a machine. It's my fault as your employer because I wasn't making sure you weren't putting stupid stuff on your break. You know, it's. This is the new Depeche Mode. When's it coming out? The full album comes out the 24th of March. I know what I'm getting my sister for her birthday. What's the album called? The album is called Memento Mori, and the lead single is Ghosts Again. Nice. Cairo Knight's breaking the new music first. I've never got to break a new song, ever. In my 30-some-year radio career, this is golden, man. Well done, Matt Butler. Thanks so much. First time for everything. Be right back after these. Washington is? Yeah, I do. Good for you, man. It's over in eastern Washington, a little north of the Grand Coulee. There's a uh, $3 billion gold strike just been found just outside of Republic. They estimate uh, 2 billion ounces of gold might be in this uh, this this find. Currently, the uh, the land is owned by a Canadian mining company called Calibra, 
Mining Corp. So on a piece of land they call the Golden Eagle, appropriately named, about three miles outside of Republic. Boy, it's another gold strike, right? This town was built, by the way, on gold. Do you know the story of Seattle and the gold and hookers of Seattle? Somewhat. So this this strike in Republic is monstrous. They estimate a $3 billion worth before extraction costs. The cost of getting 2 million ounces. 2 million ounce deposit. That's crazy. Gold currently worth 1800 bucks an ounce, by the way. Uh, so Seattle was the last stop before the Yukon for the Yukon Gold Rush. Seattle was built as a provision town, mining provisions. I mean, it was always a timber town. You know, timber would be harvested in eastern Washington and come down, brought into Seattle. The big hills downtown on Yesler, logs would be slid down. That was the original Skid Row. Logs would be slid down to the waterfront down that hill, mined at the first steam-powered mill, Yesler Mill, right on the waterfront, and then shipped down the west coast. The, the timber of Seattle built so much of the west coast. Well, the, the miners would get their provisions here, hop uh, boats out of Seattle and truck on up to the Yukon and try their luck on the Yukon Gold Strike. North to Alaska is the song. And they would come back to Seattle with their gold. And that's where Pioneer Square got big. That's where the bars were. That's where the prostitution was. So, you know, we, we would sell them the provisions to go find the gold. And when they came back, we'd take the gold and give them liquor and women. So much to the point that if you ever, if you can take the Underground Seattle tour, it's uh, and I'm, it's still being done. I know it's evolved. You know the story of Underground Seattle, right? The Great Seattle Fire. At that point, the, the founding fathers have been talking about regrading the city for years because of the steep hills. And when the Seattle burned to the ground, I think it was 1889, they had to rebuild the city. And they said, now's the time to regrade those hills. They knocked a third of the hills down. The, the incredibly steep. Seattle's still steep downtown. It was so much worse. The, the grade was so much worse. And they didn't want to wait till the city was rebuilt or the regrade was redone. So they built the streets. And then they built the roads where the new streets would be. And forced the whole city to move up to where the new streets. Anyway, so many hookers were in Seattle that the founding fathers realized all this money's coming back from the Yukon and we're not getting any of it. So they literally formed a seamstress union. And every prostitute in Seattle has to, had to register as a union seamstress and pay union dues. And that's how the city's founding fathers, some of the most crooked some bitches ever to run any city, got their share of the gold coming back from the Yukon. That's a really sort of almost progressive piece of policy for an era so far back. <laughs> yes. Um, they were unionizing their adult workers. There's a book, I think it's called Sons of the Prophet, spelled uh, P-R-O-F-I-T. Um, and it was, it's about the founding fathers of Seattle and how crooked this town was. The original, you know, you know Mary Denny, Mary Yesler, all these famous founding fathers of Seattle were just crookeder than all get out. We always want to make this twisted tune. We built this city, you know that one from uh, Jefferson Starship. I always want to make we built this city on whores and gold, but uh, that's but I didn't say that out loud. They would never would let me do that. 
um, about Seattle. Should There's be our, still time. Should be our Seattle official theme song. Oh, by the way, when we come back, let's play a twisted tune appropriate for uh, for the current mood in our office. Did you see the memo from uh, Patty, our office manager, about the refrigerator? The uh, company fridge? We'll play that when we come back. We got a song for that. It's Kyra Knights. I'm Spike and We'll be right back. <laughs> 